Hi, I'm David Miller. Hi, I'm Mikkel Rasmussen. Together, we both ride bikes. In fact, that's how we met each other. And on the surface, we thought that was our only common denominator. But then we got to know each other better and found out that we have a lot more in common than cycling. We also discovered in that process that we're not the only people like that. And that's essentially what this Off Bike podcast is all about. Welcome to Off Bike. Today we're meeting with Lulu O'Connor, founder and CEO of Closed Doctor. After studying economics and management at Oxford, Lulu worked as consumer and retail analysis at Credit Suisse and then Goldman Sachs, studying the evolution of e-commerce throughout. In 2017, Lulu stepped away from the city and founded Clothes Doctor. Hi, Lulu. Hi, Mikhail and David. Um, could you just start by explaining what, what is um, Clothes Doctor? Clothes Doctor is a clothing care brand. Um, and actually, probably the easiest way to describe it is is to explain what I what my intention was when I founded this company, um, because I certainly didn't have a clear business model in mind. But what I was increasingly conscious of is that our generation, in particular, um, and I would say particularly in Britain, but probably all over the world, people have lost the love for their clothes and um, people just don't look after the things that they have anymore. And I, I was very aware that, you know, my parents and grandparents would really, really look after what's in their wardrobe and they would, you know, mend things when they become damaged. They would wash them very carefully by hand. Um, they would have all sorts of tricks and tips for getting rid of stains and marks and, you know, catch the hems and sew them up before, you know, stitch in time saves nine, all these kinds of things when I was young. And then as I became a teenager and a student, you know, the world completely changed and everything was about fast fashion. You know, my friends at university would go off to Primark and buy 20 pairs of boxer shorts and throw, throw them away when they'd worn them once to save on having to do laundry and things like that. And it just became so extreme. And I, I actually started to, um, really investigate kind of what happens to your clothes because lots of people think taking clothes down to the charity shop is, you know, right, that's fine. You know, my consciousness, my conscience is clear and, you know, they go to a second home. But in fact, as I now know, that's actually not the case and charity shops can't anywhere near cope with the amount of clothes that are being sent there. And, um, and so a lot of it still ends up in landfill. And so clearly there's a huge, huge, um, issue and a, a sort of highly linear industry that needs to become more circular. And I began my journey trying to investigate how to do that. And I actually started the company as a repairs and alterations business. So the intention is to make it very simple and convenient for people to repair their clothes and, and provide that element of circularity um, at that stage of the life cycle when clothes might be older and, you know, much loved and, but well worn. Um, and then as time went on, we actually found that people started to come to us to find out what they could do to stop these problems happening in the first place. And so that was where the idea for our products kind of came to fruition where, it, you know, it started as something where we could say to people, well, you know, actually, yes, we have repaired your moth holes, but if you, 
use this anti-moth treatment, then you know you won't get the moth holes in the first place. And and then actually the 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 products really started to kind of c- come into their own and um and and actually became a have now become a bigger part of the company than um than the than the services. But for us, I think it's a lot of it is to do with the you know we consider it one. It's kind of one concept, you know, what we're trying to do is help people, inform people about how to look after their wardrobe, um, help people kind of change their mindset and think of clothes as something which are for life and not just for, you know, the next night out. Um, and I think, you know, as, as you guys will agree, you know, it's becoming very, very pertinent in, in the area, particularly in, you know, high performance sportswear is just, it's just, an absolutely kind of perfect area to really kind of look at this issue because it is an area which it's not faddish. It's not about fashion and current trends. It really is about, you know, investing in pieces that are going to stand the test of time and, you know, be there for the next, hopefully the next 20 years on the road. It reminds me of the Paul Smith quote, I don't do fashion, I do individuality. And it's something we've forgotten uh, in the modern world, uh, everything is you say fast fashion. It's just mm. what is the latest trend? What's the the latest thing you've seen on the gram? What's the cheapest thing being offered at, at Zara? Uh, whereas it's that's not a viable future, and not just the sake that it's so so bad for our our biosphere, as I always refer to it, um, but also uh, I'd say ethically and the responsibility towards workforces and just the the whole. As you say, the, the the economic system because it's just it's just not right. And I think for us uh, at chapter three, we're, we're very aware of it. I think everybody is. The, everyone's learning um, that the mistakes have been made the last 30, 40 years. I don't think anybody's done it uh, uh, malevolently. It's just escalated slightly out of hand. But what we've got to do is try and fix it uh, for for everybody's <laughs> sake. And. With us at chapter three in the performance cycle wear world, we're also faced with the fact that most of the materials and fabrics we use are artificial. Uh, they they find their roots in petrochemicals, basically, um, because of polyester nylon. We do our best. We have a fully 100% recycled jersey. We use Econil regenerated nylon in our shorts. We use factories in Europe that we can visit, that we know, that we trust, that are responsible. And that's why we teamed up the Clothes Doctor. Uh, to help people make their clothes last. Can you tell us a little bit about what number five wash is? Um, the number five wash is a, is, it's a very, well, we spend a lot of time designing it basically. I think when you're, when you're dealing with cleaning, it is a, it's a balance. You want something powerful, but you also want something gentle. And it's, it's always the challenge, isn't it? That, you know, you don't want to throw heavy chemicals on your clothes and they wear out, you know, more quickly. Um, but you also need the, you, you need them to clean and part of making clothes last longer is so that they actually look the way, you know, they were when you first bought them. So what we've, what we've done in the development of that product is, really try to address those two factors. So we're using natural ingredients where we can the formulation of the product. Um, but we also have some, we've effectively, so the, the things like the, the lemongrass, the eucalyptus, we have these, um, natural elements, um, in the formulation, which 
provide natural deodorizing properties um, and also stain removal properties as well. So rather than using incredibly harsh chemicals to really get things very, very clean, um, we're doing the same job, but with a much more natural basis. And um, so I think, I mean, have you used the, have you used the number five sports wash, David? <laughs> I have. <laughs> yeah, it's, um, it's amazing. It's, it does. It's just, it makes you realise as well how much we're wasting when you see it uh, next to a normal plastic box full of plastic capsules. Because yes. I find it, yes, it, so it, in the aluminium bottle, it already looks good, but you know that feels better. And it's the fact it's such a small bottle, but it lasts such a long time. That's what blew my mind. But yeah, it, it, it works and it works so much better than, than the bad stuff. Yes, it is very concentrated. Um, and I personally think it's, it's, I think it's probably my favourite fragrance out of the whole of our range. I just love the smell of it. Um, and yes, as you know, you know, the bottle is entirely plastic free. So we are big proponents of using aluminium because it is entirely circular, 100% circular. There's no waste. Um, and it can be recycled an infinite number of times. So that is also obviously a really important factor when you're thinking about the average household waste that, <laughs> you know, that's kept under your sink at any one time. I guess that most normal people, they just used to go down to the supermarket, buy some washing detergents, wash whatever, and read, okay, it's 30 degrees or 40 degrees, whatever. What's, how, how are they going to feel a difference using uh, number five and your products generally? Um, I think what we've also tried to do with number five is, is actually educate people around better ways to care for clothes overall. So, you know, I think I, I consider it to be part of a change in mindset. So rather than just, you know, you get back from your, your ride and you shove everything in the machine, pile it high and just, you know, fill the drawer with detergent and off it goes. Actually just making a few small steps. Um, you know, you can, yes, you can massively reduce your own household waste, but you can also, you know, reduce the microfibers, which as everybody knows, you know, any kind of man-made fiber, um, when it's being washed will release these these microfibers into the water sources and it is a really important factor um so you know there are there are definitely small steps that you can take that i just think it's a it's just slight changes in habits but if you know if we all do it it can just make a huge huge difference um so that's what i would say yes yeah, the main the main thing that i think people can can you know take away from using this product could you um uh walk us through what would be sort of the five most important uh, behaviors I should have as a cyclist, um, just generally, in order to um, take better care of my clothes and the environment. Um, a few tips. I don't know if I can off the top of my head do five off the cuff. Let's see. Let's see what I come up with. So one thing I would definitely say is when you get back from a ride and your um, your, you know, you've, your kit's kind of in a pile on the floor, particularly if it's muddy and, you know, really dirty. Um, give it a quick brush down with a clothes brush to get rid of mud so that, because mud will often, if you throw it straight in the machine, it will get, it will clog things up. It will actually make things more dirty and it might actually stop your machine working so well. Um, so that's an easy one. Just shake it down, brush it down. Um, turn it inside out is a good one. So if it's not, 
it, if it's not covered in mud on the outside, definitely the best way to wash it is inside out because that's where the sweat will um, be. And it will just mean that, you know, washing is basically a, you need you need the detergent, so you need some kind of soap, you need heat, and you need um, movement as well. And those three things are what will get clothes clean. So the 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 reason that you need the movement is because it will lift, it will allow the water to get in amongst the fibres of the fabric and lift those grease particles out. And obviously, the more exposed that they are, the much easier that will be to clean. So definitely turn it inside out. Make sure that any zips are zipped up. Make sure that any Velcro is covered. So if you've got anything with Velcro, it just, it's the one thing, I mean, A, it destroys anything else that's in your machine, but also, you know, it gets filled with bits of fiber as well and then stops being wearable. So, um, close anything like that. Um, and then don't overfill the machine as well. So we would usually say just separate out your sports kit from anything else that you're washing. So maybe do a half load. Then it really allows the movement to that to work and everything to move around. Um, and then you don't, you shouldn't need to wash it on a really hot wash. You know, some people like to wash at 60 for sports kit, but you really shouldn't need to. And actually, if you, if you follow the rest of the advice, then you can wash at 30 or 40. Um, and it will get everything really clean. And actually, then you'll have less fibers, you know, being released and less thinning and less fading as well, because obviously dyes, the hotter you wash, the more likely the dye is to run. So, Keep it cool, half load, um, and then don't tumble dry it when you're done. I think that was <laughs> um, more than five. Just wash it That's outdoors. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry, yeah, once I get off on a roll. <laughs> One thing I, I am fascinated in, uh, Lulu, is is how you, you made such a, a big change in your life, going from the city, working at the likes of Credit Suisse and Goldman Sachs. It's That's a world that, is so far removed from what you're doing now. Um, taking that leap in 2017 to, to found a company from nothing, entering into the entrepreneurial world, and dare I say, even the, the ecologically responsible world, it seems uh, like the antithesis to, to the life you were leaving in the city. What's it been like? And, and, and how did you make that decision? And, and why? It was a very big leap. <laughs> um, and actually, it was building up over a few years. I started to get this sort of feeling that a, a change was coming and I wanted to do something. I wanted to do something on my own. I wanted, I think my, my fundamental uh, motivation was that I wanted to be able to look back at my life when I was in my 80s, hopefully, and be really actually quite pleased with what I'd achieved and feel that I've contributed something. And it, it wasn't, I mean, it's not a particularly kind of selfless, you know, I want to contribute to society. That is something that I want to do, but it was for my own self, my own sense of satisfaction that I wanted to be able to look back and say, that's what I've done. And I think when you work in a bank for years and years and years, you can often look back and you don't really, you've been promoted and you know you've done well but what have you actually really achieved um and it's very very intangible and i and i really wanted something that was much more tangible and it was a huge change it was still you know i i i really enjoy pressure and i enjoy um you know the 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 fast paced life that i had at goldman sachs i loved um 
but this was pressure in a very different way. And I think you're working, when you're working in a big organization, you're working within a structure, you know, you have a, an IT support desk there if you need them, you have everything that you need around you. And then you start a company and as I'm sure you guys well know, there's oh, no really? IT support. <laughs> you have a blank slate <laughs> and you have to find your own way and you have to work out how to fix your computer when it's broken or, you know, anything else that you need to do. And it's it's amazing. It completely uses, I think it uses a different part of your brain. It's kind of, you know, you're sort of forging fresh links to work out how to do things from scratch rather than being told how to do something and repeating. Um, so, yeah, I feel it's uh, it's... I have developed hugely as a person. Um, I'm really, you know, proud of what I've learned. Um, hopefully at some point I'll be really proud of what I've achieved as well. But at the moment it's still, it feels like, a, you know, you, you never kind of look back and you feel proud. You're just sort of pushing on to the next thing. So David and I, we are encountering right something almost every day, which is somebody tells us, for example, around the IT system or manufacturing or, marketing oh the problem you're encountering is very usual and we go yeah but not for us we haven't tried it before <laughs> you've probably been there too haven't you yes exactly you I, and that actually is another really good point you know getting the right people around you who have that expertise you know at the beginning i was very much i can do this myself you know i can learn how to do every single aspect of running this business and then as time goes on and you suddenly you get you get this sort of you know the right person in place into one role and you can you realize what a difference actually you know a team together can make versus one individual and i think now with closed doctor we're at the we're we're sort of just around the size of i am making that move with many different areas so rather than you know everything being down to me I am learning to delegate and I'm learning to hire people into the roles. And, you know, hopefully this way, you know, this is what will take us um, into the future. But it is, it's a very difficult step, I think, as a founder to, you know, relinquish responsibility for these areas. <laughs> it's true. It's one of those things that I've learned. Um, it's not easy being a founder. <laughs> Uh, but it's it's also a word I'm not really that keen on. I, I wasn't before, but then I, over time you realise why it, people are called founders because the amount of stuff you have to persevere and endure um, in the absolute belief that it will work and people come and go and your things fail and at the same time you have to be learning all the time. And and through that journey, you do start to, to become a little bit too possessive, I think. And I think that happened to me and probably happens to every entrepreneur founder as they, as their company grows. And it's having the, the strength and confidence and, uh, to believe in the people around you. And it takes a while to build that team. I mean, I'm very lucky in that we've now got that team at chapter three and it's, it's just changes everything. And that in itself is, is part of the journey that I'm, I'm particularly enjoying. I just find it, um, so so fulfilling exactly yeah exactly and and i just love there's a there's a real satisfaction i think beyond anything else i mean don't get me wrong i do find 
<laughs> managing people is one of the best bits and worst bits of the job. And <laughs> is, it can cause enormous stress and people are unpredictable and <laughs> you never know what's going to be around the corner. But at the same time, the amazing satisfaction from seeing a team working well together and achieving you know, much, much more than the sum of its parts is just, I don't think there's anything better. So yeah, it's a two-edged sword. <laughs> but there's something else you've done as well is with the um, the atelier in Cornwall, which which is an amazing mm. uh, uh, initiative and, and something that you should be so proud of because it goes beyond uh, just the products you're making and the service you're offering. Uh, I'm, I'm, what, what is that? Can you just, uh, I don't think everybody knows what that was. Yeah. So um, when we set up the business, we uh, first of all, we hired a team of seamstresses to work in a central workshop in West Cornwall, which um, as it's been in quite a lot in the press recently, but it is a, it's a very uh, deprived part of the UK. And I don't think people quite realise that because they see it as this sort of idyllic holiday destination, but um, it's very, very poor and, you know, very high seasonal uh, variations in employment. And what we did was actually set up our workshop out in West Cornwall and we hired people and trained them up to learn the skills of repairing clothes. Um, and actually then when COVID hit, we we um, moved it from being everybody working in the workshop to working from home because for obvious reasons. Um, but it's 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 an amazing kind of network of skills and we've had we we had an apprenticeship scheme a sort of unofficial apprenticeship scheme and got three junior or sort of uh very um kind of talented but not necessarily fully trained um seamstresses in who were 18 19 and you know looking for something to do we had a huge number of applicants um and we've trained them up and one of them actually is our our kind of top top seamstress now so she's in three years has just i mean she's just so so talented and um yeah it's very satisfying to see this reminds me so much of patrick grant uh, you heard of him fashion designer factory owner he has a, a a company called community clothing i've heard of them yes yeah so it's part of a factory he owns in Blackburn called Cookson and Clegg. And it's actually, that's where we're going to be um, making all our casuals from July onwards. Um, but he's done something with his workforce. Yes, I remember. Yeah, which is very similar to what you've done in the sense that when he took over Cookson and Clegg, he realized that there were lulls in the year um, and people would be put out of work because the, the factory would follow the cycle of the, the fashion, the year, the calendar of fashion, if you like. And he just realized that that wasn't, it wasn't sustainable for, for the workforce, for the local workforce. So he created this brand called Community Clothing because it's, it's done to support the local community. And what it does is it fills in those gaps uh, in the factory and it makes uh, pretty simple but beautiful clothing, minimal margin, uh, great price, all done ethically, responsibly. And it means that the factory doesn't stop working. That's fantastic. And it means that people always have work. And actually, we're doing a collaboration with them that's coming up in uh, in a few weeks, uh, Chapter 3, Community Clothing, Sweatshirts and Hoodies. Um, because it's something we really believe in. And although we don't own a factory, we want to work with factories like that and, and support this idea because it's yeah. so important to, to the, the whole industry to, to work like that. Lulu, uh, um, you, you do um, the products that one can buy and use at home, but you also do 
alterations and repair. Is that right? And how does that work? Can you just walk us through? You know? Yes, that's correct. I guess most people would buy uh, their clothing online these days, or many people would. So they don't have a personal relation. There's no way to mm-hmm. where to go. Um, it's just, so how, do, how does it work? Exactly. So um, it's, it's very simple. You can go to our website and inquire. Um, so it's just a very short inquiry form. You uh, tell us what you need help with, you know, whether that's a broken zip or a, you know, a, a hole in your favorite jeans. Um, you upload a photo if you want to and you send it to us. Uh, and we have this network of seamstresses. One of them, depending on which day of the week <laughs> you submit the inquiry, will get back to you usually within a couple of hours with a quote and a link. And if you would like to continue, then you click the link and you enter your card details and then you have a choice of shipping. You can either ship it on your own, you know, pop it down to your local post office, wherever you would usually go, or you can use our um, shipping labels. Um, And if you choose our shipping labels, you get um, sent a Collect Plus label. There's usually a Collect Plus within about a mile of where most people live. Drop it there, and then around a week later, you'll get it back through your door. Can I ask you a stupid question? I think many people have this question. When you're working with sports materials, they are very stretchy, and there are these sort of elastic materials in them that if there's a hole, it's sort of... I think many people can't imagine how, how would you repair that? Because I understand it if it's cotton or a very stable material, but it is sort of a, uh, once there's a hole or something, right there, a thread goes, it's quite big. You have to match the elasticity of the fabric. So um, when we work with high performance wear, cycling wear, um, anything with lycra in, then we... Well, it depends on the, we have different arrangements. So sometimes, you know, we actually, we, we partner with companies and we um, provide repairs on behalf of the company. And if that's the case, then we will take any, you know, spare swatches, fabrics, um, so that we can match it as closely as possible. But we do also have a pretty deep stock of offcuts and small pieces. So we will usually check with the customer um, because they might actually want a visible repair. Some people really like having a sort of, you know, a um, a badge of honour, so to speak, um, whereas other people will just want it to be as subtle as possible. So depending on what the customer wants, we can either match it um, in colour as well, or we can go for something, you know, that's more like a patch that's, that's really clearly different um, and give it some character. <laughs> in my old business, um, uh, which was anthropology, we often... You probably know the term talk about the theory of change, which is when you do something, what does it impact and why do you think it will impact something? And what I'm hearing here um, is, you know, the, the, if there was a before, it was people buy a lot of, let's say, cycling clothes and they buy it every season, even in a fashion way, new colors, new styles, etc. And then they throw out um these uh, garments, when they are, you know, don't feel fashionable or, or feel out of fit or you know, there's a hole in them that, you know, or whatever, and they wash them in chemicals and uh, tumble dry them and <laughs> then wash them at 60 degrees, etc. And, and the new thing that I'm hearing you talking about is a, beha- a rather grand behavioral change. I don't think it's a small thing, which would be rather than buying a lot of clothing, buy 
high quality that lasts you long, take care of it, get it repaired. And if we do that, then what? I think that sums it up very well. I think that's exactly what you need to do. And um, I don't know if you've heard the Vivian Westwood famous quote, buy less, choose well, make it last. <laughs> I think that's that really, really sums it up. And I think um, by doing that, uh, it is about, it's about sort of reconnecting, I guess, with our wardrobes. It's about, you know, giving the clothes the respect that they deserve and, I think what I what's what's sort of continues to upset me is seeing these piles and piles, mountains of clothes, um, you know, at clothing banks, and hearing the stories about how many million tons either get sent to landfill or they get sent to to Africa, and you know they ruin the local clothing markets out there. Um, you know, it's it's all associated with clothes having very little fundamental value to people um, and people don't believe that um, you know secondhand clothing you know that it's worth anything and I think it's about changing that mindset you know um, recreating what our what our grandparents used to feel about their clothes which is that you know you buy something it stays with you for life um, and I think it's yeah I think it's uh, it's the future and I think it's it's not just applicable in clothing it's it's um, it's a mindset that people are increasingly aware of and catching on with in other industries as well. Um, it's about having a respect for our possessions, I would say. Lulu, I'd like to talk a, a little bit about um, women in business uh, because we're we're very conscious of, of how male-dominated our industry is. And I'll be frank, we only made uh, apparel and clothes for men until just recently when we've finally opened up to, to inviting women into the brand and total 50-50 on parity. Our board, is, board of directors now is even 50-50 male-female. Our head of design is female and we're, we're really trying to, to make an effort, not just in the products, but in the, the company itself, because we know it has to be done and we want it to. My question is, is what has it been like for you as a female founder? Because I think for women in all walks of life, you're outnumbered, but as a founder, it's something very different. <laughs> that is definitely true. Um, it's a very interesting question. I think, I think that there is, there's a lot of uh, rhetoric around, um, you know, increasing, say, VC funding for female founders, and you know, we really need to make sure that female founders are given the the support that they deserve. And you know, if we could just get this many more female founders funded, then you know, that would contribute X to the economy. Um, my personal view, having been in this for four years, is that I think that often, and I might get criticised for saying this, but I think women have a different mindset to men and i i came into this business um you know very kind of quietly confident in myself and my own abilities but i'm not the kind of person who wants to shout from the rooftops how amazing i am and how amazing my business is and how you know you be everyone would be idiots not to invest in my company and you know we're going to go to the moon I think that is not the way personally that I behave and I 
think it's the way probably a lot of women would agree with me that I prefer to get on with it, do an amazing job and surprise people with what I can achieve. And I think that is a different kind of mindset from necessarily what investors might like to hear. You know, investors like this sort of um, amazing kind of big picture. And I, I mean, I'm obviously talking about extremes, but you look at um, uh, male founders such as, you know, um, some of the big some of the big unicorns that we've seen over the last few years. And you, you can definitely see that it, they, they go on this kind of cycle of positivity that that's sort of self-fulfilling and it, it's sort of, you know, it's a, it's a very virtuous cycle. But um, I think, I think it's just goes against the grain for a lot of female founders. And I think we do, we are more cautious, but that doesn't necessarily mean that we're not going to deliver. It just means that, you know, we will, we will be conservative in our expectations. We'll beat expectations and we'll, you know, quietly push on. Um, that's my perspective on it anyway. And I, I, I get a lot more satisfaction from operating in that way. And um, I also sleep much more easily at night behaving in that way um, than, you know, setting expectations beyond, you know, what's achievable. I don't know if that makes sense. I guess it's just something that I, I've noticed increasingly I feel is different. But it, I, I really like it, Lulu, but it's in a way it's contradictory to what what I believe people in the banking sector, particularly, you know, Goldman Sachs and so on, that have to, you know, invest in the future and net present value and all of that, where, you know, the, the more you can promise, yes, the more you get. I think that's way. true. I um, guess that's the logic. I think that's, I, it, it is definitely true. And I think that is probably why there is this big gap between funding for, for, um, female founders and male founders. You know, I just think that it, it is, it's sometimes harder for people to see that outlook and that potential. Um, because we can, we can just naturally be more conservative about what, what the future looks like. Um, I certainly have felt, you know, we, we have moved from, being mostly externally funded when we first when we first started up to being mostly internally funded now and obviously that's a that's a a benefit of growing and you know we actually have revenues to support us now and we, and we do very little um fundraising and i find that uh, i'm happy to grow more slowly and operate in that way i find it incredibly satisfying to you know it's 10 times more satisfying to to win a big contract and get our get our revenues up than it is to to try and find someone to give me some money and i think that that is that is really helping me love the business more and more i was never keen on doing the fundraising trail going around to investors and asking for anything and i've always uh, you know in the last year or so since we've been um self-funded it's just been it's it's just huge job satisfaction for me to have got that far well i can just tell you that we are i think i can speak for you david we're really proud to be collaborating with you and have a lot of admiration for what you're doing and um and i hope we can continue maybe one day also to offer repair services together that would be with you fantastic and like that. yeah no it's we're extremely proud as well and um 
you know, we we love your brand and we love partnering with you guys and 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 your mindset as well. I think it really really um ties in. You know, we have a lot of shared values. Um and I'm also very excited about our um our videos that we um we shot with you guys <laughs> about a week ago. Um so yeah, there'll be a lot more tips coming out very shortly um on how to look after your cycling gear. And we had a actually a really fun day with with your team um filming in my kitchen. <laughs> um so yeah, it it's was a nice it kitchen, was really though, fun. I and say. I think um I think there'll be a lot of interesting <laughs> thank you. Yeah, we just had it done. <laughs> uh, I think there'll be a lot of great content to share very shortly. Thank you again to Lulu O'Connor for taking the time to do this podcast and talk to Michael and I. Go into the show notes and under the click we mentioned previously about Chapter 3, you'll find a click to Chapter 3 in Closed Doctor and everything that we've been talking about. Till the next time.